Welcome to the Daily Bible Podcast, a show intended to help you get more out of your everyday time in the Word. This is a ministry of Compass Bible Church in North Texas, and if you'd like to join along with our daily Bible reading program, you can do so by going to compassntx.org and clicking on the Daily Bible Reading tab. Thanks for joining in for today's episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Hey, welcome to another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Taco Tuesday. Taco Tuesday. Yeah, that's what it is. Not unlucky. It's not unlucky. Yeah, I still don't know where that came from. I, Wikipedia. I, well, none of my ancestors agreed with Wikipedia. Well, then go edit it. You can do it right now. You <laughs> can jump to. on and be like, this is not correct. Ain't nobody got time for that. Yeah, that's true. Um, it's also our kidsman director's wife's birthday. <laughs> that's a mouthful. Happy birthday, Julia. Julia Kogan. Happy Julia birthday. Julia Kogan. We're so thankful for we you. We won't tell anybody that you just turned 21, but we're, we're grateful for you. I mean, she's not even that old. No, probably not. She can't even rent a car yet. She is, guys. She is. Um, I didn't want them doing math with her and Mark and like kids. (laughs) Yeah. 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 That's true. Yeah. No, we are so thankful for the Kogans. They've been such a blessing to us at this church. And Julia is certainly uh, not uh, an exception to that, that rule. She has been awesome for us. And so many of you have benefited from her time in Kidsman. So maybe shoot her a text, something like that today and say, Hey, happy birthday. I think the Kogans qualify as a power couple. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. 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 And he drives a Tesla. So talk about power, right? Right. Yeah. Hey, uh, let's jump in. Okay. Isaiah chapter 62. Yep. Yep. Let's do it. 62, not 59. I was not going to say 59 before you said 62. So I'm just letting you know, I didn't need that help, but, uh, I, you were in the wrong chapter. Actually, I was going to say 59. So thank you for, for correcting that. Um, here to serve. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Hey, I, I have a title. It's not a great title, but it is a title. Um, for this chapter. And that is just this Jerusalem has a future. Wow. Um, and, yeah. In, in light of what's going on right now, I think it's, it's a good reminder to us. I mean, the focus is on the city here and we may think, why is the focus on the city? Because of what the city represents. The city is the city of David. The city is the place where Christ will ultimately reign during the millennial kingdom. The city is the capital city of the people of God. This is this is what this is representing. It's, it's not so much the bricks and the stones and things like that. It's, it's that, Hey, God cares for this place because of everything that this place stands for and represents Right, promises that have been made. Absolutely. Need to be fulfilled. Yeah. Yeah. And verse two, the nations shall see your righteousness and the Kings, your glory. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. Speaking of the, the crowns there, this is not where we are right now. And, uh, and that's abundantly clear. The nations do not look kindly upon Jerusalem or its inhabitants. And that's been made evidently clear during the, the most recent days. Uh, but that's been true all the way back from the, the very beginning. I mean, the Israel has been a, a nation at war and a nation in conflict for, uh, for ages. And, uh, and it will be until the Lord comes back. But when the Lord comes back, this is going to be the future. He's going to provide. Uh, he's going to not again give their grain, verse 8, and their food to their enemies. This is it. There's going to be peace and permanence here uh, for the people of Israel within the confines of Jerusalem. Salvation, it comes, verse 11, his reward is with him, his recompense before him. What a great picture of Christ coming back for this city. Yeah, super cool that in verse six, it seems like what we're seeing here says, you who put the Lord in remembrance, take no rest and give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise in the earth. This is verses six and seven, part of verse six and, and verse seven. I take that to mean he he's wanting his people who, who pray to him to pray his promises. Mm-hmm. Like I promise to do this for you. 
pray about this until it happens. Yeah. And I think this is a cool verse because it reminds me, man, to pray for things that God has promised to do for his people and don't stop praying until he delivers. What we know that God wants to do, I mean, like what we were talking yesterday about sanctification, right? Yep. We should pray for the people in our lives to be sanctified. Yeah. We know that's consistent with God's will and we ought to keep praying that until God delivers on that promise. It's consistent. He wants to do that. And we shouldn't take for granted that he'll do it apart from the prayers of his people. So yeah. I think verse six and seven, they remind me to pray and to pray faithfully. Yeah. Yeah. The, the parable of the persistent widow, right? Yeah. It's the same concept that Jesus picked up and, and said that that needs to be what we're doing. Yeah. yeah. Will the son of man find faith when he comes to the earth? And said, Jesus is sad because people aren't praying. Right. Let us, let us be a people of prayer. Right. Right. It's one of our distinctives. Amen. Yep. Not just on paper, but in practice. Well, chapter 63 uh, is a, a, a pretty terrifying opening, at least um, the, the picture of God's wrath and the violence of God's wrath here depicted. Uh, I told you about Revelation 21 and 22 yesterday, a, a couple other passages in Revelation that would be helpful for you. Revelation 14, 20 uh, is a picture of the, the last battle, um, the Armageddon. And what happens there, Revelation 19, 11 through 16 is also another helpful picture. It's a depiction of the warrior king, Jesus, there who has a robe that has been dipped in blood. And you say, well, where did the blood come from? And I think this is a, a glimpse of this here in 63, 3. I've trodden the winepress alone and the peoples. No one was with me. I trod them in my anger, trampled them in my wrath. Their lifeblood spattered on my garments and stained all my apparel. Dude, the divine warrior is no one to mess with. No. No, absolutely not. Then nor now, right? I mean, that's right. th- this is one of the concepts, right, of the immut- immutability of God, the unchangeableness of God. And though, yes, and we're going to talk about this this next Sunday in John when he said, I, I didn't come to condemn the world. And-, and at his first coming, he didn't. At his first coming, he came as the suffering servant, like we saw in Isaiah 53. But he's going to return as this one. Um, he's going to return as the Revelation 19, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He is, is coming back as the conquering king. And uh, that's part of the healthy fear of God that I think even as believers, we need to possess and, and understand that and, and know that, man, that every knee is going to bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of the glory of the Father, not because he's coming back looking like Thomas Kincaid paintings, but <laughs> because he's coming back in a terrifying fashion. Right. He, he comes first as a lamb to suffer. He returns as a lion to yeah. slay. Yeah. It's not going to be pretty. Yeah. Yeah. Verse six again, trampled down peoples in my anger, made them drunk in my wrath, poured out their lifeblood on the earth. Yeah. It's interesting. People will often talk about the Old Testament God versus the New Testament God. Well, again, Revelation 19 bridges that gap for us and reveals to us that this passage here is not talking about Yahweh, but this is the New Testament. This is Jesus yep. that we're depicting here. The one that's been given the authority by the father to judge. Yeah. And he's the one that's going to be doing this yet. And it's, it's one of those emergency break moments in Isaiah's uh, account here as well. We get this turn of, I'm going to recount the steadfast love, the praises of the Lord, the great goodness, his compassion, the abundance of his steadfast love. There's such a a contrast here, reminding us of God's redemption that's available, reminding us of his mercy that's available, reminding us that his arm is not too short to save or his ear too dull that it cannot hear. But verse 10, they're going to rebel and grieve the Holy Spirit, and he's going to turn to be their enemy. This is such a, 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 it, it, it grieves your heart, right? To read about the opportunities that Israel were given and how many times they rejected the Lord. And this continues all the way up until Jesus, as Jesus turns to his, John said in his opening, I, he came to his own, but his own did not receive him. That, that's just an ongoing 
situation that has been happening all the way back here and even prior to this as well. I think about the passage in the New Testament, note the kindness and the severity of mm-hmm. God. Granted, different application, but here you see both his kindness and his severity. You see this quality about God's, again, it's, it's almost as if God can't help but say, but let me interject hope. Let me interject the fact that I will remember and I will redeem and I will vindicate my name and I'll do it uh, for my sake. Verse 14, so you led your people, Isaiah says, to make for yourself a glorious name. Israel is so tied up into God's character that he can't help but show them mercy and grace in part because he desires to make his name great. Again, it's about him and he's going to he's gonna vindicate his own name. He is. He is. And part of this comes in verse 17, I think with in this, we pick up on this in Romans one, two, uh, not one, not one, verse two. two, but one also there is a, there's a turning over that God will do to the rebellious heart. That is quite frightening, um, to think about. And I think we see that here in verse 17. Why do you make us wander from your ways, harden our hearts so that we fear you not? Wow. I, that, that Isaiah is recognizing, man, some of this is God's passive judgment being unleashed upon his people saying, fine, you want your idols, have your idols call to them. See if they're going to deliver you in that day. Um, Paul in Romans one says, God gave them up three times says, God gave them up, gave them up, gave them up. Um, there's a, a point at which we can resist him so much and choose the idols to where he will let us have what our heart desires. And we live the rest of our lives. Romans two, five storing up wrath for ourselves for the day of judgment that we just read about earlier in this chapter. Yeah, this is a scary verse because I can't help but think about Pharaoh in Egypt. Who who hardened Pharaoh's heart? Was it Pharaoh or was it God? Yes. There you go. There's one of those either ors, but it's actually both. Um, when you look chronologically, who's guilty of hardening the Pharaoh's heart first? It's not Pharaoh. And I wouldn't call God guilty in this. Obviously, he's sovereign. He, cho- he chooses to do what he will do. But God's the one who initiates the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. And that's a scary passage. Ultimately, I think what we need to do with passages like this, even though they can be frustrating and terrifying, we have to acknowledge God is God. You are not. I am not. How, how dare we point a finger at him and, and say, God, why don't you do it this way? Why don't you do it the way I would do it? You're not God. Step back. This is not your pay grade. We ought to humble ourselves when we see verses like this and recognize uh, that our job is to submit to his leadership, mm-hmm. not to demand he do this or that. Right. And praise God that he saves any of us. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I feel like the older I get, the more I'm aware of that just in my own life, just my unworthiness in in the magnitude of his grace. Absolutely, man. Yeah. The world is bonkers. And it's like, why why do I, why can't they see what we see? Right. Well, God opened your eyes. Right. That's why. Right. Yeah. So 64, one chapter 64 is continuing this prayer from Isaiah as he's addressing the Lord and, and he prays that the Lord would act, rend the heavens and come down that the mountains might quake at your presence. Maybe you've thought that uh, recently or at some point in your life, you've thought, man, God, if you would just come, if you would just come and, and act, that's what's needed right now. Right. Um, and yet he's working all things according to the purpose of his plan, his, his will, thing. his counsel. Um, verses five, six and seven. Again, there's, there's just the recognition uh, from the prophet that we are indeed guilty, uh, unclean, fade like a leaf, our in- iniquities like wind take us away. Um, but then there's this hope in verse eight. Uh, now, O Lord, you are our father. 
the intimacy there. I mean, sometimes you may have heard, hey, when Jesus addresses God as, as father, Israel never addressed God as father. Well, that, that's not entirely true. We see passages like this where he is addressed as their father. The uniqueness of the relationship with Jesus and the father is the intimacy, that the individual intimacy that he says that we can approach him as. But mm-hmm. here he's recognizing, God, you are the father of this nation. You created them. We're the clay. You're the potter. You can do what you're going to do. Be not so terribly angry, O Lord. Remember not our iniquity forever. I'm reminded of Habakkuk when he says, in wrath, remember mercy. Yeah, that's good. Um, and, uh, and there's a forward-looking moment here in verse 11, right? Because he says, Our holy and beautiful house where our Father praised you has been burned with fire, and all our pleasant places have become ruins. Well, as Isaiah's writing, that has not yet taken place. But Isaiah, under the, the direction of the Spirit, is anticipating the reality of the destruction of the temple when everything that has been prophesied will come to to pass. So much of Isaiah has been that he's been prophesying the exile. He's been prophesying their restoration. I mean, Isaiah is just way out years ahead of the actual audience here. So it's fascinating to see stuff like that. Yeah. And remember one of the key themes in Isaiah is God's sovereignty over the nations and uh, over the nation of Israel and over the the course of human history. I think that's hit me more this time around reading it than, than at any other time that God truly is sovereign over everything in world history. And we, we continue to see that in the book. Amen. Part of that involves what we talked about last time in first Thessalonians chapter, first Thessalonians chapter four. <laughs> that, that uh, yeah. That we're picking up uh, chapter five, still dealing with this, this concept of the day of the Lord. Well, the rapture precedes the day of the Lord. One of the things that we didn't hit last time is the time frame for the rapture. When is the rapture? Gonna When's happen? it going to happen next when is, Tuesday? When is it going to happen? Tuesday, three yeah. o'clock. Yeah, no, this is, this gets into when Jesus said, no one knows the day or the hour. And he told the parables about the virgins needed to be ready for the return of Christ or the, the wicked servant who was found asleep when the master returned, right? And he's encouraging, Hey, we need to be ready for his return. Cause he could return. What we talk about is the doctrine of the imminence of Christ's return, the imminence of the rapture, meaning it could happen momentarily any moment. There's nothing left on the, uh, the, the redemptive historical roadmap, so to speak, that we need to, uh, pass through before the rapture happens. It, that's the next stop. So it could be anything, anytime, it, anytime, anytime. The, the only thing keeping Jesus from coming back is the last soul getting saved that will fill up the time of the Gentiles that bring the fullness of the Gentiles to, to wow. salvation. And so that could be the next person that you share the gospel with. There's a motivation to witness. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and Peter even talks about that. What sort of people should we be waiting for and hastening the coming day of the Lord? Right. The way we can hasten the coming day of the Lord is by sharing the gospel with people because eventually the last person to be saved in God's economy and God's plan is going to be saved and then Christ is going to come back for the church. How would you like to be that guy or gal? To be saved. Like you get last. saved and then the second happens after you profess faith, it's like, oh, okay, Jesus came back. But that, that doesn't that put flesh on the, the, the parable of the talents, the, the workers? When it's like, hey, that guy just showed up and he gets everything that that he gets paid the same I get paid. It's like, what's it to you? How does that work with rewards though? Well, there's going to be a difference there, but in the sense of like- still go to the same heaven. We're going to heaven We're both going to Bel Air. Right. I I took, man, I I put in 30 years of serving you. That guy gets saved and then all of a sudden here's the trumpet and here comes Jesus. He didn't even have to wonder about what the rapture is. He's living it right now. Like, how's that fair? Well, because of God's grace, God's grace is needed for him just as much as you needed it. Um, yeah, I don't know. I appreciate I granted. I, and maybe I'll feel differently or I'd be tempted to feel differently. I, I like the fact that like I had, I got to read my Bible and wonder and learn and understand the body of Christ in different ways. Yeah. No, I'm so with you on that. that. I, yeah. But yeah. I, I like, I like my life. <laughs> I've liked my Christian, my Christian life. Yeah. I've enjoyed it. Well, you know, driving that fancy 
car that you drive. I, I, I mean, imagine. Uh, hey, I don't boast about my 2013 Honda Civic, but oh, well, it's gonna, pretty. You, I, I know you've got that My Real Treasures in Heaven bumper sticker on the back of the car, <laughs> but I don't believe it, man. I just got hydraulics installed. Did you see that? <laughs> <laughs> Yikes. Hey, let's, let's talk about the day of the Lord. And the day of the Lord, we've picked up on it in the Old Testament and the prophets already uh, some, but this is the time of judgment. This is the judgment day. Uh, and it's going to come uh, in in a, a, a sobering and shocking way. The, the rapture is going to happen in a shocking manner. And so is the day of the Lord. Uh, while people are saying there's peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you church, you're not in darkness for that day to surprise you like a thief for you're all children of light, children of the day. And so there's this idea, he says in verse six, let us not then sleep. We need to be ready for the return of Christ and the inauguration of the end times. We need to be ready church for that. I'm not going to scare tactic or, or cause you to say, Hey, I need to show up with my tinfoil hat next week or anything else like that. But you need to be ready. You need to live ready. Right. I mean, I think it's John talks about in first John, um, not shrinking in shame at his return. Mm-hmm. Uh, man, that, that's such a, a, a helpful thought. And what does it look like? What does it mean to live ready? That everything that you do, no matter what, you're ready that Jesus could show up then and you wouldn't shrink from shame because you're not being found doing what pleases the Lord in that moment. Right. And not that we, I mean, if we're, if we're glorified, it's, I don't think there's that sense of, I don't know, regret in the sense that we might know it today, but there is that sense of, man, I, I, I could have gotten more rewards. I could yeah. have been further along in my, my walk with Christ. Yeah. Yeah. Be ready. That's a good, that's a good admonition. Yeah. Because the encouraging promises, verse nine, God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we awake or asleep, we might live with him. And so therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you're doing. And, and even there, church, right? He talks about it. Peter talks about what sort of people should we be in light of these, these things. We should be encouraging each other to be ready for the return of Christ. That's, that's part of the application of this passage. We need to be talking about it. We need to be encouraging each other with it. We need to be uh, thinking that way. It should season our speech with each other as the church to anticipate the return of Christ, because that's something that we should long for and be ready for. Yeah. And in this final few verses here, one of the things I want to point out to you, and we did a whole conference about this a couple years ago. In verse 14, uh, Paul says, hey, look, we urge you brothers, brothers and sisters, admonish the idle, encourage the faint hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. The word admonish there is going to be nutheteo which is where you might get the idea of nuthetic counseling, also called biblical counseling today. This is not the job of only trained counselors, although that's very helpful and and necessary in most regards. But this is for the body of Christ. Your job and my job, all of us, is to admonish the idol, to encourage them, and to encourage the faint-hearted, those who are weak. And speaking of the weak, we're to help those people. We're to be patient with them all. And I think we can all think of people that are weak and faint-hearted and idle. I mean, just there's probably a million names that come to your mind. Scripture gives clear encouragement to us all who would call ourselves strong. Hey, be strong for the weak. Yeah. Be, be, be alongside them. By the way, unless I miss this, I don't want to miss this. Pastor PJ, you could take a seat for this one. Verse 12, we ask you brothers to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Now, one of the things that scripture does is encourage us, all of us who are part of a body of Christ to love 
and pray for our pastor, specifically our lead pastor, but our pastors in general, mm. but to respect them, to care about them, to esteem them highly in our hearts and in our minds um, because of what they do. It's not because the, uh, the pastors are some kind of special class of citizen. That's not the, the case here, but it's the very fact that they represent God's leadership in your life. And it's not necessarily because you like their personality or they, you know, they gave you a high five in the, in, you know, that Sunday morning. It's because what they do for you, right? They are spiritual overseers and caretakers of your soul. And for that reason, you owe it to the Lord to love his, his, his pastors, to care for his people. So let me encourage you to do that. Don't, don't neglect that. Right. No, that's, that's helpful. I think of it sometimes the way I think of, uh, of when I'm around a, a law enforcement officer, a cop, somebody like that, right? Oh, like yeah. you, yeah, that's good. There's a respect and a, an appreciation for them that doesn't idolize them and make them more than men or, right, right. or anything else like that. But you just go, man, I respect the position. I, I respect the position. And I know that in my respecting you, I help you do your job well for me, which is in turn good right. and, and helpful. So excellent point. Yeah. Hey, we'll catch you guys again tomorrow. If the rapture doesn't happen, <laughs> praying for it. Yep. Hope you don't see me for another episode of the daily Bible podcast. Bye y'all. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. We hope and pray this has been a blessing to you and your time in the Word. If it has, if you would subscribe to this podcast, leave a like, leave a comment, and share it with some friends and family, that would be awesome. If you need more information about Compass Bible Church here in North Texas, you can go to compassntx.org. Again, that's compassntx.org. And we'll be back with you tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Mm -hmm.